Children, you are now dismissed, and as you're finding your seat, please turn to your neighbor and say hello and welcome them to this morning service. It is uh, always good to worship in the house of the Lord together. Amen? Amen. We are uh, so grateful that we can be together as a family, because that is who we are as believers in Christ. We are a family. Brothers and sisters who are familiar with the banner of Christ, who He is our salvation and our rock. We are uh, continuing in and finishing off our series in the life of Elijah. And as all of Scripture is God-breathed and all of Scripture is historical and accurate and has transpired, we must look at these stories and these narratives in Scripture and realize that they speak to our hearts and our lives today. It is not just something that was written and spoken and meant something then. It is something that was written and is continually speaking and meaning something for us today. So let us pray and then we will turn our attention to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. For it is your love that drew Jesus to the cross. It is your love that gives us mercy and grace that we do not deserve. We ask for your spirit to come now. Fill us and give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us this morning. As we open up your word, may it not just be for information, but Holy Spirit, bring transformation. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever had moments in your life where your work or your job or your life brought some frustration. I remember a time in a previous ministry that I felt like I had a lot more to offer than I was being given to, to live into. As a pastor on staff of you know a, a church that had many pastors, I felt like there was something else I could do, more than I could contribute. And I got a little frustrated. And maybe you've been there where you feel that there's this ceiling that you just keep hitting that you shouldn't have to hit because there's more to you. There's more that you can bring to this table. And I remember, you know, I was younger and and in my younger days, I was a little bit more whiny than I am today. And I remember just this one moment where I was whining to God and just saying, hey, this is unfair, right? I'm so great. I'm so awesome. I have no opportunities. And I said, Lord, speak to me. Tell me what I need to do. And if sometimes you've experienced this in your quiet time, silence. And you're a little frustrated. These, these dark moments in life that you feel are dark, you want God to speak. You want God to say, yeah, you're right on the right track. Yeah, yeah, you need to push and, and do what I tell you to do. Go for more. Well, it was silent. 
And that night, I remember we were at dinner at Hillary's parents' house, and we often would do that on Tuesday because they would watch Liam and Amelia on Tuesdays, and we would go and have dinner with them every Tuesday. And I remember this one time, Amelia was at the table, and we had crackers and cheese as an appetizer at the table, and Amelia had grabbed two slices of cheese. And she was looking at the crackers and looking at the cheese, and she asked for more cheese. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a kid with two hands full of food and asking for more food, but this is where she was. And I said, Amelia, just just eat what's in your hand. Just eat what's in your hand. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God crushed me and was like, yeah, Marvin, eat what's in your hand. And I knew immediately he was talking about this pursuit of more But he's like, I've already given you enough. I've already given you what you need to consume and what you need to live into, but you're grasping for more. You look as silly as Amelia did with two pieces of cheese, hands full of food, asking for more food. And, you know, it was one of those moments that kind of was an ouch moment, like, oh, you're not giving me what I want. You're not answering me the way I want you to answer. But even in that dark moment, that I felt was dark, God was speaking. And I knew that it was God's voice because I would never tell myself I was wrong. You know, maybe you've, you've experienced that too where God tells you, hey, you're going down the wrong path. That's not your own mind because you want to say, yes, I'm right. But we can have these moments where we feel like it's so dark and, and we can have an experience where God is not speaking or we feel as if he's not. And I think sometimes we do have those dark nights of the soul where we have to wait on God to speak. But there are other times in darkness where we are just so overwhelmed by our circumstances, our depression, our pain, our frustration, that we're not really hearing the voice of God because we're blocking it out. But I tell you this, even when it's dark and it seems he is silent, the Lord is speaking. The Lord is speaking. And as we look at the story and narrative of this portion of Elijah's life, we will see the answer to the question, how can we hear God in the darkness? How can we hear God in the darkness? And we will be looking at Elijah's story in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 21. And if you look at where we were at last week, we saw that Elijah had just had a powerful moment where the, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, could not get their God to light a fire, to sacrifice, to consume the sacrifice that they had made. And we talked about fighting false gods last week, and Elijah was on the mountaintop. He had just done something incredible, something amazing. God had just used him. And here we see that right after that, he tucks tucks tail and, and, and runs. And so how can we hear God in the darkness? I believe that he gives us six pathways to hearing the Lord in the darkness. And the first pathway is the pathway of honesty. In order to hear God in the darkness, you and I need to determine to honestly disclose and discuss the darkness of our, of your depression. Determine to honestly disclose and discuss the darkness of your depression. Let's see how that pathway shows up in Scripture. First Kings verses 19, or chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Take away my life, he says. Elijah was just on the mountaintop. He had just seen God do an incredible thing. And little baby Ahab goes and tattles on Elijah to his wife, the demonic Jezebel. And Jezebel writes a note to him saying, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, ah, and he runs away. Right? You figure, how in the world would he be in that place where he would run away? Why would he tuck tail and run right then? He's on the mountaintop. That's where you would expect him to say, ha ha, Jezebel, you're going to die. At least that's what I'd feel like I would want to say. I would have this strength, this might. But Elijah confesses in a moment with the Lord what's really going on within his heart. Chuck Swindoll says something very interesting. He says, our most vulnerable moments usually come after a great victory, especially if that victory is a mountaintop experience with God. Those are the times when we need to set up a defense against the enemy. We have these great mountaintop moments, and we feel nothing can conquer me. And then the enemy comes in and sweeps our feet out from underneath us, and we fail and we fall, and we get into some sort of darkness. Now, that might not always be the case, but we need to look at our moments of victory and say, okay, God, guard me, protect me. Because the enemy, as he sees me on this mountaintop, as he saw Elijah at this highest moment where it looked like all of the enemy's things were going to be destroyed, the enemy goes after him right when Elijah knew, right, right when he knew Elijah would be susceptible to this moment. So he goes after him. Jezebel says, I will kill you, and he runs away. We can see in 1 Kings 18, 22, he's on the mountain with the, the, the prophets of Baal. And he says something very interesting as he's talking to them and making fun of them and demanding that, that God does something in, in the way that God wanted him to demand that in front of everyone. And he says, I and I alone am left. He was already feeling this moment of loneliness even at the mountaintop. And that's an important aspect because it doesn't make sense within that prayer. Why would Elijah say something like that? But he was beginning to expose a darkness, a brokenness within, within his own heart. He was feeling lonely. He was feeling by himself as if he was the only one who was doing what God wanted him to do. And when he runs away and he approaches God in prayer, he doesn't fake it. He doesn't say, God, I'm okay. Thanks for that mountaintop moment. No, he says, God, I am so depressed. I am so down. I am so broken that my darkness is overtaking me to the point where I just wish I would die. Man, he does not hide his despondency. He does not hide his depression. 
He does not hide where his heart is really at in that moment. Did you know that the Bible talks about depression? It talks about mental health. But so often we miss this thing and we say, well, buckle up and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and God brings hope and strength all the time. Well, that's true. But he brings strength when we realize we're weak. Paul himself says, in my weakness, God gives me strength. Paul was in a moment of depression and despondency and was honest about his pain and the things that were coming against him. But somehow in the Western Church of Translation, we have forgotten to admit when we're broken and in darkness. We have forgotten to be determined, to be honest with our true depression and despair, with where we find ourselves truly in our hearts. We don't admit it. We we just pretend as if we're okay. And we can no longer do that. Because if we are truly to move forward and hear God in the darkness, we have to be honest. Because when we act as if we're okay, we cannot hear God's healing words. When we act as if we're okay, we cannot hear God's healing words. When we spend time with God, we say, oh, I'm fine. Don't, you don't need to do anything for me. I'm, I'm great. He's, we're just blocking him from bringing healing to the true pain of our hearts. We have to listen to where our hearts are really at and walk in honesty in that depression with the Lord and walk in truth and say, this is where I really am and I need you. He was honest with the Lord. The second pathway is the pathway of rest. So we see the pathway of honesty, but there's also the pathway of rest. We need to resolve to receive and reside in the Lord's rest and relaxation. We need to resolve to receive and reside in the Lord's rest and relaxation. Let us look at 1 Kings 19, 5 through 8. It says this, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. This was after his confession of where he was at. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. We might look at Elijah and we might bring some judgment. We might say, well, how can you be depressed after that? How can you want to die after that, Elijah? Yeah, some crazy woman said she's going to kill you. So what? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so frustrated? Why do you want to die? But let's not judge him too harshly. This man had just done a three-year clip of absolute dependence on the Lord. For three years, he was sitting, waiting for God to feed him by the ravens or waiting for God to fill the oil and the flour with a widow. A widow's son died, and he, by the power of God, raised the son from the dead. I mean, amazing, incredible things that God was doing in Elijah's life, this struggle, this pain, this agony for three years. We can sometimes just pass by those three years and say, oh, it was really simple. You know, he had faith and trust. He did. 
but he was stretched thin. And he had just come to a place where the power of God was flowing. And he saw it and he was exhausted. He was tired. Have you ever felt just at the end of your energy rope? I know as parents, we probably feel that a lot. When we wake up, we feel like we didn't get any rest because our kids were crying at night or tapping us on the face to wake us up and tell us that they're sick and they're not feeling very well. And you're like, I can't help you. And we just, just have no rest. And maybe you're feeling exhausted and stretched. And here we see that God was giving him rest. He ran away into the wilderness was alone and he kept sleeping. Have you ever just wanted to take a nap in the middle of the day? Raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. All right? Here's Elijah taking a nap in the middle of the day. And God does not yell at him for napping or resting. He taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, wake up, eat, and then go back to bed. Wouldn't that be great if we took a nap in the afternoon and our kids came and instead of waking us up to tell us something about themselves, that they said, hey, here's some coffee. Here's some toast. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? That's what God was doing. And Elijah was resting in that. Chuck Swindoll has a very good point. He says, there's an old Greek saying, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. In other words, if you're living under constant, relentless stress, you'll finally break under the pressure. You must give yourself some time for rest and refreshment. Now, I'm just as guilty as everyone else in this room. Rest sometimes sounds like torture, like I just have to sit there and do nothing. Boring, right? But God, he has designed us for rest. Because a depleted body gives way to increased depression. We need rest to remain strong. A depleted body gives way to deeper depression. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever you're tired, you're a little bit more cranky. Have you ever realized when you're tired and you've not taken a break or you've not taken any time off work in a long time and you just get really mad or you get really sad and you're like, what's wrong with me? It's because you need to rest. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he put the Sabbath into our week. Right? Almost like he knew what he was doing. Because he did. He designed us. God knows us. He knows that we need rest. But too often, we do not rest. We do not take that rest. We might feel guilty that I'm resting too much. We might have this sense of, oh, I'm not doing enough. I've been there. But the Lord is telling me and telling you, rest. For you to be able to hear his voice, you need to rest. The third pathway is the pathway of emptiness. We need to empty our plate. Empty your plate of pride and self-pity. Empty your plate. Empty my plate of pride and self-pity. 1 Kings 19, 9-10 says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life 
to take it away. Now, here he is in his moment of depression and depletion. He's not yet fully rested or recovered, even though God has given him some lambas bread. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you'll understand that this food that he ate was going to sustain him for 40 days. And he's talking with the Lord, and he comes to a place where God's like, why are you here? And we see that in his depression and frustration, his real issue is he feels alone. He feels like he's the only one. He's the only one that understands, and no one else could ever understand where he's at. He believed two lies. He believed lie number one, that he was alone. And he believed lie number two, that no one could ever understand his pain or frustration. He came to a place of pride and self-pity. Now, when we are down and depressed and sad and frustrated, we can come to those same places. And God in this moment, we'll see in a second, doesn't sit there and say, stop whining, boy. He steps into where he's at. But we need to empty our plate of this self-pity and of this pride. Wiersbe says, in this reply, Elijah reveals both pride and self-pity, and in using the pronoun they, he exaggerates the size of the opposition. The I only I am left refrain makes it look as though he was indispensable to God's work when actually no servant of God is indispensable. He was eating from a plate of pride and self-pity. He just continually kept feeding his inner voice this pride and self-pity. He began this conversation with himself even in 18. While he's on the mountaintop in, verse, in chapter 18, verse 22, he's feeding himself this lie and spitting it out to the people around him. He walked in this pride and this self-pity and God was going to gently walk alongside him. When we are in our depression and darkness, We cannot feed on self-pity and pride. We must empty ourselves of those things and say, here's where I'm really at. Help me. Here's what I really feel. Help me. We look at the Psalms and it's full of depressing words. It's full of anger at God. But in the end, the psalmist always comes to a place of, but even so, blessed be the name of the Lord saying, I know that you're going to get me through it. It's sad, it's frustrating, I'm angry, I'm lonely, but I know that you're going to get me through it. When we can get our eyes off ourselves and off our situations and see the largeness of the Lord, we can begin to hear His voice in the darkness. We can be so blinded by our circumstances, we can be so enamored with our own lies about self-pity and pride that we can miss the largeness the giant nature of our God who is bigger than all circumstances bigger than all our depression bigger than all of our loneliness bigger than anything that could ever come against us he is bigger the fourth pathway is the pathway of silence shut off the inner and outer noise that seeks to hinder your hearing Shut off the inner and outer noise that seeks to hinder your hearing. 1 Kings chapter 19, 11 through 13 says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had so much inner noise. Have you ever been there where you just can't stop focusing and thinking on the issues and the problems at hand, where you're super stressed and you might even wake up and you think about your to-do list and you feel overwhelmed. You think about the issues with your family and you feel overwhelmed. You look at your own situation and your own circumstances and you feel overwhelmed. This is an inner voice that just won't shut up. And here God is taking time with Elijah to get him to quiet his inner voice. And then he has all of this noise around him. All of these things that happen, there's wind. And if you look at Scripture, you know, you might think, well, God is in the wind because the Holy Spirit is described as wind. You might say, well, he's in the earthquake because God is shaking things up and God just did a crazy, ridiculous, awesome thing by shaking the ground in the past. And here we see fire. God just came down as fire. Elijah saw it 40 days ago. This fire consumed the water and the stone and the dust and the, and the sacrifice. And Moses had a moment of fire with God. And we see in Acts that the Holy Spirit is also looked at as fire. And so we'd anticipate that all this noise that's going around, God must be in some of that. There must be something that God is doing with all of this noise. But God was in a low whisper. God was not in those things. And it purposely says that God was not in it. I think that God was doing several things at the same time because God is God. He could do a lot of things in one moment. Where you and I can do one thing in one moment, God can do several I think he was showing with Elijah, hey, you know what? I am the God of all power. I am the God that is stronger than all of your circumstances. I am the God that can silence your inner voice, proving to you that you're not alone while he did all of those things. But I think he was also showing Elijah and me and you that there's a lot of outer noise that's in our lives that we just need to silence. You know, if you were to go in the woods and you're all by yourself and you hear birds chirping, no matter where you are generally in America, eventually in about an hour or two, no matter how remote you are, you will hear the, an airplane go over you. We don't live in a world that allows silence even when we are in the middle of nowhere because we are filled with so much noise. Social media, the media, people's conversations all the time about things that don't matter, things that just stir us up and frustrate us. In a, in a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a, a pastor named John Mark Comer, he said so many Americans, they wake up and the first thing they do is check their phones. They check, they read their emails. 
They look at their, the Facebook notifications that they missed that night or the, the Instagram notifications that they missed that night because their phones are right next to their head all night long. And he said, we wake up with noise. And then before they go to bed, they see, what emails did I get? What, what text messages did I get? What Facebook message happened? And so we go to bed with noise, and we wake up with noise, and the average person spends roughly three to four hours on their phone. Stoplights, stop signs, putting their kids to bed. We're still looking at our phones. We live in a world of noise. And in order to hear the Lord's voice in and out of the darkness, we need to embrace a more silent lifestyle, myself included. We need to embrace a more silent lifestyle. Warren Wiersbe's words on this bring some conviction. This is how he perceives what God is saying. My still small voice brings the word to the listening ear and heart. Yes, there's a time and a place for the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, but most of the time I speak to people in tones of gentle love and quiet persuasion. He was only reminding Elijah that he uses many different tools to accomplish his work. God's word comes down like the gentle shower that refreshes, cleanses, and produces. And whether we think that, that this is the only place of God's silent low whisper in Scripture or not, we're wrong. Because in Deuteronomy 32.2 and Isaiah 55.10, we see that God's word is gentle and comes down small and slow and low. And if we have so much inner and outer noise, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. It's just like that moment with the cheese, right? I wasn't anticipating God to speak to me about my life while my daughter was holding on to cheese. But I heard the conviction in that moment. I know that there's been many times where I've missed his small voice. But my friends, it's important that we get silent. Take time to be still, silent, and set to hear his still, small voice. Take time to be still, silent, and set to hear his still, small voice. The fifth pathway is the pathway of place. Recognize the Lord meets us where we are and directs us to where we need to be. Recognize the Lord meets us where we are and directs us to where we need to be. In 19, 14 through 18, the word of the Lord says this. He said, I have been very jealous. This is Elijah replying to the Lord's question again. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nishmi, Nimshi, who shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What I love about this passage that we have to slow down and recognize is that even after God has spoke to him in the low, small whisper, he gives the same exact whiny statement to God. 
Now you might be like, man, Elijah, God just did some crazy stuff, wind, earthquakes, fire, you know, and, and here he comes and speaks to you in a low, small voice, and he asks you the same question he'd asked you before he did all of that. Clearly God is wanting a different answer from you. But Elijah's like, huh? I own the eye. Woe is me. I'm still walking in this self-pity. But God meets him where he's at. He meets him in that moment. He knows that Elijah's heart was actually prepared to hear the next thing he had for him because of his silence, because of his waiting on the Lord, because of the low voice. I think internally Elijah was still confessing, I'm still frustrated. It's still difficult. I'm still not in the place that I would like to be. And God gives him his next mission. He doesn't rebuke Elijah in this moment. He doesn't say, hey, dum-dum, look at what I just did. No, he meets Elijah where Elijah's at. And he says, here's what I have for you. I know you're, you're still wandering through this whole process, but I do have something for you. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you wallow in your loneliness. I have a job for you. Wake up and get up and go do this thing I have for you because you still have a job to do. But then he gives him hope. Hey, you know what? After you do this job, you'll be done. Someone else is going to take your place so you can actually just stop moving and have an eternal rest. Because we know that Elijah then is taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven. So God is answering his loneliness. God is answering his struggle and his frustration. He's like, I don't want this job anymore. It's not easy. It's not fun. I'm no longer having an exciting time. Please take this thing from me. And God says, okay, I will. I will take that job from you. And then he reminds him, he's like, hey, listen, I just want you to know, Elijah, that there are 7,000 people that have not bowed to Baal. You think you're alone, you think you're all by yourself, but you're not. There are other people who have not bowed to Baal, and they will do what I have them to do. But he meets Elijah where he is and directs him to where he needs to me, to be. And he meets us in our pain and depression. But he loves us too much to leave us there. He wants to speak truth into our lives. He wants to wake us up and get us out of that moment of depression, of pride, of self-pity, of darkness. God has light to bring into our darkness. Will we honestly share where we are with him? Will we honestly lay it all out? Will we honestly allow him to speak into our darkness? The sixth pathway and the final pathway that we see from this passage is the pathway of community. Encounter and embrace his voice in community. Encounter and embrace his voice in community. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21 says this. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. 
not only does God meet Elijah where he's at, but he promises him community. He says, listen, there is Elisha who is going to walk with you. Go to him. Find Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he will be with you. He's saying, I know you feel alone. I know you feel like you're the only one, but I have community for you. Get up and see that you are not alone. Encounter and embrace my voice in community. This, this Hebrew word that we see translated in the ESV as assisted, in Hebrew is the, the word sharet, and it means to minister, to serve, and attend to. So we see this passage, then he arose, that's Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and ministered to him. You and I are created for community. You and I need one another to minister to us in the darkness. We may not hear the still small voice of God speaking directly into our spirit all of the time, but when we are gathered together as a body of believers, we have community, and God's voice comes in community, where my brother and sister can love me in the midst of my loneliness, when I can come to a brother or sister and say, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I even feel like I want to die, please be with me, talk with me, spend time with me. That is what God has created community for. We were never, ever, ever meant to live this life alone. But we try. We try to wander through life by ourselves. We have this message, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Man, sometimes I don't even know where my bootstraps are. And so I need someone to help me find them. And then I need someone to help me tie them. And then I need someone else to help me stand up and pat me on the back and say, I love you, buddy. Let's walk this thing together. You and I have no capability without community. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son are community, showing us we need community. Some people need to have help finding their bootstraps. Let's just be honest. Let's walk and embrace in community. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together, because in that meeting together there is encouragement. In a time where we feel lonely after COVID, after all this stuff, we still have a deeper and deeper sense of loneliness in our society. Get in community. Walk in community. Maybe you have to say, hey, I need you to come over to my house and spend time with me. Hey, I see that you're depressed. Can I come over and hang out with you? Those are things that we need to do with one another. We need to encounter and embrace his voice in community. Do not neglect the community that he has for us. These six pathways, we will hear God in the darkness. We will hear God speak in the darkness, even if it's just by another believer coming alongside of us. He is still speaking, even when things seem dark. So may we be honest. May we walk and listen to his voice. May we rest. May we sit in silence. And may we encounter community. I want to encourage you as the worship team is going to be coming up, I will pray, but if you're walking through a dark time, if things are rough right now for you, be honest. 
Come up front. Have people pray over you, pray with you. And if you don't want people to pray over you or pray with you at the altar and you just need to be with God, sit in the front seat and just be with God and hear his voice. It's okay to be honest if you're in a moment of darkness. It's okay to admit that you need help. We live in a world that sometimes says we don't need to admit it, but my friends, we do. So I encourage you to come forward as the worship team comes up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word speaks to every aspect of our lives. Even in our darkness and depression, we see in the narrative of Elijah the power of your voice in the midst of darkness. Holy Spirit, I pray that if we are in darkness in this room, that we'll be honest with our depression, that we'll seek your voice in the midst of this darkness, and that we will hear your voice speak to us so that we can be healed and walk in your light and power once again. Amen.